All right, back on the Young Turks, uh, time for a couple of quick uh, member comments. Daniel Rice, Marianne Williamson appears to be one of the most progressive candidates. Too bad she has next to no chance. I find her extremely impressive. So don't get swayed by that in the beginning. At the end, it might be relevant, but for now, go support anyone you want. Back them up with volunteering, donating, etc. Marianne Williamson was on the show, so was Andrew Yang. I, I like what uh, his loyalists are calling themselves, the Yang Gang. So that's already fun. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, obviously, were on the show. And tomorrow, Tulsi Gabbard will be on The Young Turks. So uh, make sure that you're tuning in for that. That'll be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, two more comments for you guys. Chris Rock writes in, presumably a different Chris Rock. Uh, With all those false police reports made on black people while living in the past year, I think we're going to let this false report go, referring to Jesse Smollett. And along similar lines, Ambrose writes in, this rules. I love it how white people overreact when black dude gets off a crime the way only white dudes would normally get away with it. It's probably bad that Jesse did this, but the mass triggering it caused was totally worth it. <laughs> That's really funny. I don't know that I agree, but I do find it amusing. Okay. All right. Well, let's go to our next guest. Joining me now is Lindsay Allen. She's the executive director of Rainforest Action Network. Lindsay, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. You say the Green New Deal does not go far enough. Go. Yes. So it's not the only thing that we need to be thinking about. We have just released a report that shows how much banks are funneling into the fossil fuel sector. So we've been looking at bank financing of fossil fuels for the past 10 years. And our most recent report is actually pretty startling for a couple of reasons. One is all of these banks stood up at Paris during the climate talks, they said, we absolutely need to be you know, doing things to make sure we're addressing climate change and we're committed to taking action and we're gonna finance the good stuff. And what we actually found is in the past three years, they have now invested $1.9 trillion, that's trillion with a T, into the fossil fuel sector. So we're talking about oil companies, gas companies, coal companies, and banks are just serving as the ATM for these fossil fuel companies at a time when they know it's a bad idea. And at a time where, you know, late last year, the IPCC report said we have less than a decade to cut our emissions in half. But so Lindsay. we can't, on one hand, have the Green New Deal, and on the other hand, have this ATM for the fossil fuel companies to expand. Lindsay, though, uh, I, I hear Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, is a uh, is a progressive that he's a Democrat. Uh, Obama even considered him from Secretary Treasury. That's what I hear in Washington. So I'm sure that J.P. Morgan Chase is not participating in this, right? That is completely incorrect. So I understand that Jamie Dimon wants to be seen as this great savior, and his actions tell a different story. Uh, Chase is the worst bank by far. They are pouring the more the most money into fossil fuels. Full stop. They're pouring the most money into fossil fuel expansion. They are pouring the most money into tar sands oil. J.P. Morgan Chase continues to be the bank of Exxon, and so Jamie Dimon can say whatever he wants, but the actions of his company tell a very different story, and he is exacerbating climate change. So. Uh, you talk about the $1.9 trillion in loans they've given and and 
Kidding aside, I, I see that JP Morgan Chase did a stunning 196 billion of those loans, 10% of the loans just by themselves. Uh, let alone um, the fact that the top four banks are all Americans uh, giving to the oil industry, uh, six out of the top 12 are Americans. Uh, so then Lindsay, what would you uh, have done? Do you think the government should stop them from this? Do you think they should be, uh, we should put public pressure on them to stop this? What, what do you think is the next step? We think that public pressure is what's needed. So we have seen what it can do. I mean, even today, the CEO of Wells Fargo has now stepped down. And that is a result of public pressure. It's not just that these public officials decide to hold these banks accountable. So while we need government action on initiatives like the Green New Deal, we also as individuals can put pressure on these banks because we know that they'll move. Uh, Chase has already moved in terms of pulling back their financing for private prisons and detention centers. And we see a lot of momentum around climate activism right now. So we are trying to focus that on Chase so that they're compelled to take action and follow through on what they say is important. So they're saying it is important to address climate change, important to prevent the inequities that would come from climate impacts. And there's an opportunity for us to push them to do that. We're actually having a day of action on April 10th and folks can go to rand.org to see how they can take action. Chase needs our money and so do the other three big banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank. Those are the top four US banks that are financing the fossil fuel sector and climate chaos. And they will move when we force them to move. And Lindsay, they use depositor money as leverage to be able to do these loans to the oil companies. So in essence, if you put your money into those banks, you are helping to give loans to the fossil fuel industry. Do I understand that right? Yes. So banks would love to confuse us about what is happening with deposit money and how they're getting money for loans. Um, but it's really clear that if we decide to stop supporting banks, that's going to have an impact on the broad, their bottom line. If we decide to take action and to do things like make it impossible for them to operate in the normal way they are, if their bank branches are being shut down, then they can't continue business as usual. If they're large investors, say, we're pulling away from you because you continue to finance climate chaos. If we you know, continue to make sure that there is so much noise and pressure that they have to do something differently, um, that's when we're really going to see a turning point in terms of they can't say one thing out of one side of their mouth and then continue to pour money into expanding coal, oil, and gas you know, out of the other side of their mouth. So look, I know this action has been endorsed by 160 different environmental groups, including Sierra Club, Bank Track, Indigenous Environmental Network, etc. But I want to be clear about your guys' objectives. So one more question along those lines. So I think that the not just right wing, but maybe even independents who are listening to this might say, but what do you guys want to do? Like not let the oil companies have any loans? And they might think that that's quote unquote not fair or they'll just get them from other banks in in the world. How would you respond to those? Yeah, so we know that the the issue when we look at the worst banks, it's not a conversation about other banks in the world. We're talking about US banks. We're talking about Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, Citibank. And what we know is we are in a hole on climate. 
We have expanded fossil fuels so that we are in a whole, and that's just the reality. That's what science says. That's what we have to deal with. The way to deal with it when you're in a hole, first thing you do is stop digging. So our key demand for banks right now is stop financing the expansion, which deepens our dependence on coal, oil, and gas, number one. Number two, we know we have just about a decade to cut emissions in half. Banks need to be making a plan about how they're going to do that. And they need to be responding to public pressure that is demanding they do that. So that's number two. Climate change is here. So at this point, it's not it's not a conversation anymore about wit, uh, if. It's only a conversation about when. So let's stop digging, stop financing fossil fuels, and make a plan that gives us a real shot at stabilizing the climate. Lindsay, would you be happy if uh, the oil companies went bankrupt? <laughs> I think that's an interesting question. It's not one that I see as being likely. I think I would be happy if oil companies got serious about climate change and admitted that they have been denying that it's an issue for decades, that they continue to make record profits, and that neither of these things are compatible with a stable climate. Um, but I don't expect them to take action. So really the question for me is, as individuals, are we willing to come together collectively and pressure the banks and these fossil fuel companies and tell them that the trajectory we're on is completely unacceptable? In the case of banks, JP Morgan Chase cannot continue to be the worst bank financing climate change. They need to stop funding this sector full stop, period. So uh, previously you ran the uh, uh, forest program for Rainforest Action Network. So uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that too, because uh, you guys have worked in indigenous uh, areas where there was indigenous-led opposition uh, to uh, extracting uh, energy from from uh, forests in, in their land. Uh, and you had some success, so I'm curious about that. Uh, what did you guys there uh, do there and how did it lead to success? Yeah, so um, the first thing I should clarify is that, you know, our model is to really take leadership from indigenous communities. And so they are really, the leadership is uh, indigenous communities that are at the center of understanding both that they see the destruction on their lands and in their indigenous territories, and they understand that there's another way as possible. Um, so I think we can take uh, some of the resistance that's happening when you look at the Dakota Access Pipeline. You saw the resistance at Standing Rock. You saw that indigenous leadership. We played a small role in helping to look at what are the banks financing in terms of helping to facilitate and fund the Dakota Access Pipeline and that expansion. Um, but part of why our model is so effective is we do actually center that indigenous leadership. What we're seeing across the board is that resistance is stopping pipeline development. And if you don't have the pipelines to transport oil, then that slows down the extraction of oil, which is a good thing in terms of climate. So that's what we need to continue to see more of. And that is what feeds into our conversations with banks, where we say, listen, this is becoming risky for you because you're betting on these uh, expanded pipelines and you're betting on this continued extraction. And you are going to have, in banker terms, these stranded assets that are not gonna be valuable for you if you continue to go down this road. So that's all the more reason why banks should be investing in 
a clean and green economy as opposed to this very archaic dated approach, which is literally taking dinosaur remnants out of the ground and burning them. Yeah. There's another option. Yeah, and, and I want uh, the folks at home to know this too, because the whether it's resistance, protests, different forms of it, it actually makes the projects more expensive, which might actually dissuade them from doing the projects, which would be great because we need to go to renewable energies instead to save the planet. Uh, Lindsay Allen uh, from the Rainforest Action Network, thank you so much for joining us and showing us the way. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right, guys, uh, now as we go to break, I wanna tell you something important. Um, we have a new presidential contender. Uh, he is Wayne Messam. He is mayor of uh, Miramar, Florida. He's been mayor there since 2015. Uh, some of you might remember him because he was a, a, a fairly uh, accomplished wide receiver at Florida State University. It's kind of funny that those are the th reasons that we remember folks. But, um, but he announced that he's running for president today. Now you might think, well, I mean, that's a small town in, in, in Florida that he's the mayor. Well, South Bend, Indiana, also a small town, also known for football. And now Mayor Pete Buttigieg has some momentum in the presidential race. So uh, this is an interesting uh, new entrant. And I wanna show you guys his launch video that just came out today. I grew up in the place they called the muck. My mother and father came here to the United States from Jamaica. My father was a contract sugarcane cutter, very hard, intense labor with machetes to cut the sugarcanes in the hot sun in South Florida. You know, I can see him looking around in these fields, envisioning that his children would be successful one day and they wouldn't have to suffer the way that he suffered. Well, I'm passionate about the American dream because it's not a fictitious thing for me, it's real for me. Went to Florida State on a football scholarship. The legendary coach, Bobby Bowden, won a national championship there. Started a construction business with my wife. We were recognized by the United States Green Building Council for building the first lead platinum school in the Southeast United States. I became the first African-American mayor of the city of Miramar when I unseated a 16-year incumbent. The city of Myanmar actually was able to beat out China and bring jobs to our city. The problem in America, as I see it, is that we are not addressing these high-stake problems that we must deal with today. When you have a senior citizen who can't afford her prescription medicine, Washington is broken. When our scientists are telling us, if we don't make drastic changes today, the quality of our air will be in peril, Washington is broken. Everyday people are graduating from universities with crippling debt, stifling their opportunity for financial mobility. That is what's broken with this country. America belongs to all of us. The promise of America belongs to all of us. That's why I'm going to be running for president, to be your champion. I'm very proud of you. Yes. The same prospects of the American dream that my father was able to achieve. We need to bring that back for every American. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, I wanna thank uh, Mayor Messam uh, for uh, sending us that video first. Uh, we're proud to back uh, and give an opportunity to a lot of presidential candidates so that you guys can decide. And he will be coming on the program soon, and he will be the seventh presidential candidate that we'll have had on the program. 
So an interesting new entrant into the race and we look forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, okay, now I wanna read uh, two quick comments before we go to our next guest. Uh, Cognosco this says from the member section, control the population, control the climate, cause and effect, too logical. And uh, Colel says in, it writes in, whoever thinks the Superbank has the world's best interest is kind of foolish. I'd have figured it would be common sense to be skeptical of huge banks, but a lot of people aren't. Look, I didn't wanna say it during the interview because it's not about their cause. Uh, but as we were doing that interview, of course I was thinking of aspiration.com slash TYT. Now there are a sponsor, I wanna be super clear about that, but they don't put deposit or money into those fossil fuel industries. So it does make a, a huge difference. So you can find financial institutions that don't do dirty business like that. Uh, normally, you know, you gotta search far and wide, but here, that's why they are our sponsors. So we like progressive institutions who can give you peace of mind. Anyway, if, if you care to move your money into something like that, check out aspiration.com slash TYT. All right, now uh, let me go to my next guest. Uh, Lauren Gill is joining me as she is a reporter for The Appeal and uh, she has a story about, well, honestly, slave labor in America. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration as you'll see. Lauren, welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. So let's talk about the story that you covered about John Carraway. Who is he, uh, what does he run and, and how did he get himself in trouble? Yeah, so John Carraway is the regional director for the South Central region of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, so that means he's in charge of 21 prisons in five states, about 30,000 prisoners. Um, so what he did on two occasions last year is his church, uh, which was about 35 minutes away from the prison and sort of like a swanky area of Texas, um, needed some landscaping work done. So they said they couldn't afford the landscaping work. So apparently Mr. Carraway went ahead and got prisoners uh, from Segoville to do the work for him. So uh, are you allowed to use prisoners to do your own personal work if you run the prisons? You're not supposed to. So what I was told was back in the 80s, up until the 80s, like this was pretty you know, normal. People would use prisoners like to shine their shoes or do work that they needed done. Um, but then the BOP got rid of that and they said like this is unethical. Um, in the handbook it says that you're not allowed to accept like any personal favors from inmates. And a BOP spokesperson told me that uh, staff are not supposed to be using prisoners on projects for personal gain. So uh, here comes uh, what I think is the most outrageous part of it. Uh, he did pay them, so why, why is that outrageous? Well, uh, Lauren, tell us how much he paid them. So they were making 49 cents an hour. Um, so that comes out to $3.92 a day. Um, and then they received an overall $30 bonus for five eight hour days. Um, but if you look at the minimum wage in Texas, that's $7.25 an hour. 49 cents an hour. So when I say slave labor, well, what is slavery? Making people work against their will for no wages. So um, you can say, oh no, 49 cents an hour, that's a wage. 
Uh, but there's an excellent argument to be made that that is illusory. That is, of course, not a real wage, not anywhere near the minimum wage, which is already far too low. So, right. so it's look, Lauren, to the naked eye, it looks like they're using the prisoners as slaves. Um, yeah, I mean, what I was told that this seemed like a really clear cut case of inmate labor exploitation. Um, I spoke to two employees about this who told me about um, the practice and they said that all of the other staff were pretty disgusted with what Mr. Carraway had done. Um, you know, like say someone wanted to go ahead and use, uh, you know, inmates to go like, take care of their kids little league field. Of course, they wouldn't be able to do that. But they felt because Mr. Carraway was so high ranking, like he's pretty high up there. He reports right to the director in Washington, D.C., that he was able to get away with this. Um, I think also they mentioned that the warden, when they, the warden said, you know, watch out, pick pick good guys because this is the regional director's church. I wonder if he checked their teeth. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, you know, a lot of us thought we were past these days, uh, but apparently we're not. Uh, he's in charge of 21 federal prisons in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Arkansas. So uh, he he has access to a lot of prisoners that he could use in this way. Uh, so uh, that leads me to the na uh, natural question, Lauren, of is anyone doing anything about this? Well, conveniently enough, Mr. Carraway has put in his papers and he is retiring within the next few months. Um, so I haven't heard of any blowback from this um, from prison officials. Well, I remember Andy McCabe, uh, who was uh, running the FBI, uh, Trump fired him a day before he could uh, retire with his full pension. Uh, so, and, and he had the audacity to legally investigate the president. Um, so apparently you can fire people before uh, they get their full pensions if they've done something, even in McCabe's case when he didn't do anything wrong. In this case, when he's clearly right. done something wrong. Is anyone going to look into whether that he should be fired? I haven't heard anything about it. You know, of course, I reached out to BOP and I told them what I had heard. They didn't answer. Um, I reached out to Mr. Carraway. He didn't get back to me on it. So it would seem like things are full steam ahead for him for retiring with his full pension. So, and it is a Trump administration. They 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 might give him a raise. Uh, so, uh, how big a problem is this nationally? Uh, is this just a, a one-time occurrence with this one uh, guy who's running these prisons, or uh, nearly non-existent wages uh, for prisoners? Is that a phenomenon that's happening across the country? Well, this is the clearest cut um, example that I've personally heard of. I don't know what's going on in every single prison across the country. Um, in federal prisoners, like that's 200,000 prisoners. Um, so I don't know, but I know like that inmates want a lot more programming um, instead of, you know, at, at Segoville, they're getting out, what I heard was three times a year out into the community to do service projects. So therefore, you know, they're offered the chance to go garden someone's church. You know, this sounds pretty good, 
But, you know, say we go ahead and provide them with landscaping programs so they can refine their skills. So that way, when they're released out into society, like they're able to become a landscaper or something like that. Um, So, yeah, I haven't heard of other cases like this. I know that prisoners work for very, very, very meager wages. Um, I was reading an article uh, where it said prisoners in Louisiana get paid like four cents an hour for work. Um, Yeah, yeah, so the wages are not very good. Yeah, so there's two different issues here. Uh, One Mm -hmm. is using the prisoners for your own benefit. The other is the, the slave wages that they are being paid. So in this case, they got $3.92 for a day's work. Yes, we have reported on the Young Turks uh, situations where they're being paid $1 per day. Not even per hour, per day. Mm-hmm. And so the only reason to pay them a dollar is to say, no, technically they're not a slave. I gave them a dollar. Right. Uh, and, and obviously that's just, uh, as I said earlier, illusory and, and it's, it's a trick. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and not a very good one at that. But in fact, wasn't this one of the the issues that the prisoners brought up in the 2018 nationwide prison strike? Yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, back in August, there was the national prison strike that drew a ton of attention. Um, there were actions in prisons across the country um, in which prisoners were saying, you know, we want to be confined in ways that are way more constitutional. And there was a whole list of demands. But I think the one that got the most attention was um, the eradication of prison slavery. Um, So what they demanded is that people who are working get paid the prevailing wage in their state. Yeah. And we're not seeing that. So this affects the prisoners terribly. and, and, But it's also a stain on uh, our culture in America and our morality. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and what we have degraded ourselves to. But there's a third element to it, which is how it affects wages for uh, non-prisoners. So if you have prisoners, in some of the cases, they're not just doing gardening work or work within the uh, prison, they're running call centers. Well, doesn't that also take away jobs from the community? Well, I think, you know, people in prison, they want to be doing something. They want to work. And we need to be thinking about it in a way where we can provide them with opportunities to hone skills so, you know, that they feel like they are able to go back into the society and have, you know, have learned something or gained something from being incarcerated. Yeah. So if you want to teach somebody a vocation or help them get an education in prison, that's mm-hmm. great. Uh, if you want to pay them real wages, even if it's minimum wage, no problem. Um, but if you're paying them four cents an hour or four dollars a day, and you're using them for real jobs that people can get in the outside world, it harms everyone across the board. Uh, but I just keep remembering this Israeli professor who, uh, after the 1967 occupation, said we should stop the occupations. Not just because of what it's going to do to the Palestinians, but because of what it is going to do to Israeli culture. And so in this case, uh, the degradation of who we are as Americans is on the line here. We have to treat people with at least a shred of morality, decency, and humanity. And that is not what's happening 
And and Lauren, I want to thank you for helping to break this story, which is a really important one. So thank you, and everybody check it out on, on the appeal. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, the post game is next for the members. We have an excellent post game for you guys. What is it about? I don't know, but I'm sure that it will be excellent. Okay. <laughs> tyt.com slash join to become a member and get the post game. We'll be right back. <laughs> 